What challenges will India give Australia's women's cricket team in their coming series? What do the next 12 months look like for Australia's women? What does the growth trajectory of women's cricket as a whole look like? And could the Olympic Games help? What lies ahead for Australia's young pace attack? And how has her comeback from injury been? This is Beyond the Lead with Elise Perry. Elise Perry is an athlete that needs little in the ways of introductions. A competitor at both ICC and FIFA World Cups, she has served as an integral figure in the growth of women's cricket in Australia since focusing full-time on the sport. Carrying her status as a leader almost as well as she does a bat and ball, the 30-year-old is a multiple-time Belinda Clark Award winner, swept the ICC's awards for the best players of the 2010s last year, and was also named amongst Wiston's five cricketers of the decade for 2010-2019. The 2020s, however, got off to a bit of a bittersweet start for Perry. A key figure in the promotion of the 2020 World Cup in Australia, she suffered a torn hamstring against New Zealand during that tournament, meaning that Australia's eventual record-setting win over India in the final was delivered with their star all-rounder in the stands. After a false start ahead of a series with New Zealand in September 2020, she made her domestic return for the Sydney Sixers during the Women's Big Bash League that year and her eagerly anticipated international return against New Zealand in March of 2021. Despite COVID and international travel restrictions doing their best to scupper the tour, Perry has been named in the Australian squad to face India in a multi-format series that will commence with a one-day match at the Great Barrier Reef Arena in McKay on September 21. Those meetings with India will kickstart a busy, busy stretch for Perry and her teammates with another Women's Big Bash League season, an Ashes, a one-day World Cup and then a Commonwealth Games all on the agenda. And to commence her conversation with ESPN Crick Info's Andrew McGlashan, Perry reflected on the jam-packed season ahead. Uh, yeah, I think immediately just really exciting um, and also a great challenge to have that much cricket in such a short period of time. But I think um, also so much important cricket, like big tournaments and um, something new in the Commonwealth Games as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really motivating for the group and I think um you know given given the complexities of the last 18 months and trying to play elite sport um I think it's yeah it's nice to kind of have this this roadmap that we've got um to play and then I think what makes it exciting is sort of filling in the gaps around how that's going to pan out is there one particular part of all those prizes on offer that is a particularly stands out to you or it's, it's, it's particularly exciting? Um, uh, look, I think probably looking at next year, um, one thing after the another are, are, are really important. Um, you know, the Ashes then into a, a World Cup and then a Com Games, I think, um, to be, yeah, without trying to be, uh, you know, overstated, it would be lovely if we could be successful in in each of those events and I think um as a team it, it, it would probably looking at each one of them um in succession um 
as yeah as as really big important events and and yeah the most important at the time but obviously like put three of them together and it's a it's a great challenge just on the challenge that India will provide over the um over the next few weeks uh obviously the the World Cup final is the game everyone talks about still I know you're on the sidelines for that but you'd played them a lot in the lead up for that tournament and you what sort of challenge this year do you think they'll provide uh, a huge challenge um I think you know they've been huge improvers um it's probably not fair to say that anymore because I think they've well and truly arrived but and, and always have but they've been building as a as a team and I think as a cricketing nation in the, the women's landscape for a while now and um they're actually a really scary prospect in a lot of ways like they've got so much talent um and sort of often have new players coming through that we get to learn about um each each new sort of series that we play so um yeah, they've, they've also had a fair bit of, of cricket this year already, um, obviously playing over in the UK uh, versus sort of our really quiet winter. So um, I think they're going to be a really big challenge. Um, and I think there could be some really good cricket, especially that test match. I think I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously, you guys will always almost just want to win. Australia's focus will always be on winning and what their immediate priorities are. But do you think where Indian women's cricket goes now in the years to come will dictate a huge amount of where the game goes globally? There's been a talk about whether it's time for a women's IPL and things like that in terms of just also how much they play internationally. Do you think a lot of what happens in the future will be based around what India is capable of doing? Uh, oh, I'm sure it will have a, a very strong influence um, just with the sheer weight of um, you know Indian cricket and uh, on world cricket. Um, I think that that's more than fair to say. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, a, a lot of the top nations are able to shape that um, in, in the women's side because I think, you know, we love to have our own identity um, as, as, I guess, a sport and, and have a chance to really dictate how that grows and develops. Um, and probably a key component to that, whilst, you know, we often talk about India and England and, ourselves and New Zealand to an extent um you know the biggest and most important part of that puzzle is actually the the other nations as well and making sure that um you know across the board and across the world we're able to you know grow and develop women's cricket um you know I think the common games is a great vehicle for that um equally if cricket was to make it into the Olympics it's it's another great vehicle and there's so many young women around the world with all this increased opportunity to play sport and um, that's a real area of opportunity for us to, to hopefully capture that and and grow the sport with with so many um yeah new players so yes to answer your question i do think india would dictate a lot of things and an ipl would be be brilliant but i think there's a, a big role to play for for all the nations to make sure that and, and for the icc to make sure that women's cricket really grows and reaches its uh, potential uh, you mentioned the olympics there and while i'm clearly not talking you into retirement it may come a bit later in your career obviously you've got the con games the olympics might just be a stretch too far who knows but do you think that could could that really be the vehicle to take the women's game global make it accessible make it seem a realistic aim in more countries than it is right now uh, yeah, absolutely. It would be an amazing vehicle. I mean, you only have to look at the two, I guess, biggest nations in the world, in um, in sport at least, in um, China and America, and neither of those countries, 
you know, strongly are involved in cricket. Um, that tends to change, it seems, when it's turned into an Olympic sport. Um, probably one of the best examples for me with that is is rugby sevens um, and how active America in, are in that space, for example, and, and they've had some really successful teams, both men and women. So, um, yeah, I, I think certainly if, if it presents itself, cricket being the Olympics is a, a wonderful opportunity to expose more parts of the globe to to the sport and as i said before i think there's so many more opportunities for young women these days to play sport um right across the world and if that was sort of funneled into developing cricketers that would be amazing just to bring it back to australia kind of and and the odi format with the world cup coming up you guys won 24 unbeaten matches at the moment you've ticked off landmarks along the way since that 2017 and heartache you guys had what in terms of the ODIs you play in the bilateral series you play, what, what keeps driving you and what keeps motivating you as, as a team to keep stringing these results together? Is it just the thrill of winning as a team? Is, 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 that, is that what drives you? Uh, oh, yeah, winning is certainly enjoyable. Um, I think perhaps particularly in the last couple of years, the depth of our squad um, and the competition for places is, is pretty hot. Um, and there's so many great young players coming through our system and. Um, you know, I think putting pressure on incumbent players. So there's there's that element to it. Um, and I think, you know, we've just been really fortunate too to have some really successful um, players and, and great contributors to, to the side and that there's been many of them. I, I don't think it's sort of been a couple of players at any point. You know, if you look across that stretch of 24 matches, whilst we've had a consistent squad, um, I think all the way along you've had different people performing at different times and um, really understanding and knowing their their roles and doing it well. So, um, yeah, I, I think sort of a combination of those things has made it really enjoyable, but but also given us a chance to to want to keep winning. Um, Australia's always had strong depth in talent, but how, how do you sort of compare the feeling now compared to when you started your career, obviously professionalism has, has has been a big part of it. But just in terms of you mentioned the depth of players there, we've seen, for example, Georgia Redmayne called up to this squad on the back of blitzing it in the WNCL. It feels as though there's been a bit more of that in in recent seasons. Would that be fair comment? And and that's driving that desire for you guys to to keep hold of the places when you have them in the team. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um... Just the, the standard across the board and the ability of players, um, the gap between, you know, I suppose um, our Australian contracted players and domestic contracted players is, is quite small now. And often, you know, there's there's very marginal calls between between different players. So, um, yeah, for someone like, uh, like Georgia in, in this specific um, instance, if you perform really well in those domestic competitions, every likelihood that you'll be rewarded with, a call up to the Australian team. I think equally one of the big things that I've noticed um, is just how important it is to, to be all round um, in terms of your skills and, and what you contribute to the team. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of borderline selection calls in the last couple of years be made on, on fielding or, um, you know, just being able to be a complete cricketer has just become so important. Um, so I think that's been been really great for the sport the way that we play and and really important for people's development because they've had to focus on on everything just on your form and your cricket how do you reflect on 
last season, obviously you had to come back from that injury suffered at the World Cup, just looking a few months later, having had a winter, uh, a fairly quiet winter. How do you reflect on, on the cricket <laughs> you were able to play last year? Um, well, I think first and foremost, like it was just wonderful to play. And I think that probably goes for everyone, given the, the circumstances we're in. And, and I really enjoyed it, like every, every other season I've been a part of. Um, you know, from a, a performance point of view, it's probably pretty lacklustre. Um, and that's okay. Um, you know, I would have certainly loved to, to play a little bit better or contributed a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was just sort of one of those seasons that, that was a challenge for me. Um, but in saying that, I, I sort of felt like I, I took a lot away from it too and learned a lot. And I'm certainly really appreciative to the people that sort of helped me get back to playing and, um, you know, after being injured. And, and it was just like a huge dream for me to, to be back on the field, that's for sure. What was that journey back from injury like? I mean, it was a it was a nasty injury you've had, and I think Maitland Barnes had something similar to deal with in this off season. I know you two have been talking a bit about it, haven't you? Sort mm. of thing. Just what was that journey back? Was it was it really quite difficult? Did, did those of us, for example, watching the cricket last year, quite really know what you'd been through to get back onto the field? <laughs> but both emotionally and physically, given that you'd missed a World Cup final because of it, you then had lockdown. We all had obviously we all had lockdowns. Did, was it quite a journey? uh yeah it was a journey but it was you know in so many ways tremendously rewarding and um you know I think like one of the coolest things I've taken from that and um is just how much injury can be opportunity as well and um you know whilst I was sort of rehabbing there was like lots of great chance to reflect on um other parts of my game that I'd like to improve on and and find means to do that whilst I was rehabbing. I think it gave me a chance to work with different people that I hadn't worked with before and who I'm really appreciative to for their, their help. Um, and I think just in general, you just learn stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to um, say it was hard or that, you know, emotionally it was tolling because, you know, I've been so fortunate across my career um, in so many ways. And, you know, yeah, sure, it was a bit of a bump in the road, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think I've taken a lot from it and maybe not immediately will that be obvious, but hopefully in you know, the coming years I can really draw on some of those experiences and some of the processes and hopefully some of the work that I've done to, to make me a better player and, and teammate. Uh, having been injury-free this pre-season, I know, again, we've all been back in lockdown for periods. Has there been anything specific you've been working on this pre-season, both maybe with an eye on the amount of cricket you've got and also any specific areas of the game you've focused on? Um, yeah, I think probably just with that extra, like, or probably, what would it be, eight months down the track now from, um, from you know, last season, but also from being being injured. I just feel like it's been a really nice period to probably work on, on ironing things out and smoothing things out and feeling like I've got good rhythm and, um, and flow again with different parts of my game, whether that's been fielding or bowling and batting, just, I guess, physically kind of being able to concentrate solely on being a cricketer again, rather than um, having too much consideration to my hamstring um, has been, been really nice. And I've really enjoyed that kind of headspace of just being a cricketer again, and I guess not a rehabber. And, um- are you looking forward to the focus of the year? And I know you've got T20 cricket and obviously the two test matches in there, but are you looking forward to the year being a focus of one day cricket? I mean, your numbers would suggest it's the format that you've excelled at even more than perhaps perhaps T20. Are you looking forward to that game? Do you, do you think that really is your <laughs> sweet spot maybe in terms of in terms of the formats? Um, I've never really thought of it like that way. I think like 
particularly in the women's game, like every format and, and, you know, obviously given the amount that we play um, one day cricket and T20 cricket equally sort of have equal billing, um, even at a national level, which I think is probably a little bit different to, to men's cricket and how much franchise T20 is played. So um yeah, I mean, it's it's a different contribution, I guess, you make in T20 cricket because it's such a shorter game and um, perhaps, the, you know, from a numbers point of view as well, that, that sort of doesn't look the same. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think 1A cricket was probably built to um, suit my game a little bit more traditionally speaking. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, um, given how important T20 cricket is to our our game, um, there's some opportunities there to contribute still too. Are you feeling challenged by that format? I know it's been a topic that has been brought up a little bit over the over the last year. Are you are you feeling challenged to expand your repertoire? Uh, I'm thinking <laughs> particularly with the bat here in in T20 to to make sure that you keep up with the evolution of T20 cricket. Yeah, definitely. I think any format of the game, um, as time goes by it evolves like any sport um but maybe even faster pace in women's women's cricket at the moment um just because of how much change and development we're um undergoing so for sure um it's definite challenge I think that's not a new thing for me I reckon that's kind of been something that I've gone through for you know the best part of my career really um so yeah it's cool and um I think that's sport too you know like you sort of always got to push to develop and get better otherwise someone always comes along who's who's going to trump you so um yeah I think it's it's actually a really nice motivating thing for me have you had any discussions yet about what role you might play for the sixes this year with the bat I know there might be some changes to your top order depending on who finally signs over the coming weeks have those discussions been had yet uh not seriously speaking but I I think like you know we've sort of spoken in general terms that um us as a team need to evolve as well and you know we've had some formulas that have been relatively effective over the course of the big bash um but i think you know that tournament is definitely changing like we saw the role of um pinch hitters being so important um you know in the wbbl last season and and that kind of depth in your batting lineup and the ability to really elevate the run right at the end of a game just became so apparent so did medium paces and how effective they can be so I think there's a number of areas in our lineup that will probably kind of just tweak I don't think there's any massive changes um and it might depend on game to game matchups with different teams but um I'd really like to think that it's not exactly the same sixes outfit um or style of game that that we've played the last couple of years um but I hope it's still recognisable as the Sixers as well. Just to go back to the Australia setup, one of the talking points of this squad has been the uh, collection of young quick bowlers that, um, that, that has been put together. Um, Taylor's obviously back. Darcy we saw a bit of in New Zealand. Stella's in there. I mean, do you think that's a part of the game that will help keep Australia ahead of the ahead of the chasing pack, that, that depth in fast bowling? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think... Um... It's at a really interesting phase of development because we have such exciting young players that are all that sort of just that little bit quicker. Um, but I think with that means obviously a little bit less experience, less um, you know, less time around the setup, less less chance to have developed their game. And um, so I think absolutely, like long term, it's going to be an incredible advantage for us. Um, but. 
you know, there might be some times too where just extra pace on the ball with smaller boundaries and quick outfields doesn't always go our way. And I think that's probably if without sounding too, um, <laughs> I guess, too arrogant about our team is that we actually have some tremendous young spinners um, and, and senior spinners as well that perhaps at the moment are getting a little bit less talked about because of, you know, the exciting quicks that are coming through. But, you know, the likes of George Wareham, who I think was a key component to us winning that game against New Zealand to get us into the semi-final with T20 World Cup last year. Um, Sophie Molyneux, who's back back with the squad again. Um, you know, you've got Jess Jonathan, who's unbelievably credentialed and um, and then Ash Gardner who I think's bowling has improved in the last couple of years too and is is you know more of a senior player now so I actually think it's probably the blend of our two attacks and the way that our spinners try and turn the ball and attack the game that um that makes yeah makes us quite complete um rather than just the focus on the one uh, the fast bowlers if that makes sense do you, do you think there'll be some um inter-squad rivalry with those young quick sort of thing seeing how far they can push the speed gun and does it sort of <laughs> does it motivate more experienced players like yourself to to, to, to see <laughs> to see what's there sort of thing and to see how, how you can challenge them uh oh yeah I think that's probably been around for the last little bit and um it certainly gets mentioned um you know during matches when when there's speed guns on like who's bowling at what paces which is really cool um and I think it's super important for the game um and for its development that 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 happens and just to see the girls who are so incredibly athletic too I think that's that's a key component like they're just great athletes and so they're able to run in really well and athletically and then deliver with such great skill and speed um yeah there is definitely some competition there I think I mean just kind of looking back and of sort of 10 years sort of thing to about when you were starting would you have thought then that within a decade that Australia would have had four, five, six, six bowlers capable of nudging 120 and all pushing for international cricket. And there's a couple of others on the sidelines who haven't been selected. Do you, has that been a quicker evolution than you would have envisaged? Um, no, probably not. Um, yeah, I, I think that the way that the sports developed and you know, pace bowling has been one of those areas that there has been a fair bit of sp- focus on and, and people have really pushed for for girls to attack that um and you just look at you know the amount of young players we have now sort of bound to find some quicker bowlers in that group and um rather than them being an anomaly now I think they're a lot more common because it's really being encouraged from a young age for girls to go and try and bowl fast if I can just go to a couple of broader topics so we've got two multi-format series um this summer uh, for you guys there's one just in England with India recently. Um, are you um, are you a fan of that format? Do you think that's done a lot to promote, particularly trying to get a, a test match into those marquee women's series? Do you think that's a way forward and perhaps see more of it in the game going forward? Yeah, I'm a huge fan. And I think the more nations that we can sort of use that format um, for series when when we tour or when they, they come here, um, is really great for the game. Um, I think there's a place for test cricket and women's women's cricket, and certainly this format seems to, to make it fit really nicely. It puts a lot of precedence on the game, but on all formats makes it really competitive um, and gives it a lot of meaning. So, um, yeah, I, I think the more that we can play of it, um, the more you know players will get better at it, and probably even more importantly, the more fans will understand it and engage and, 
and want to see more of it. Where do you sit on the need for some elements of, of longer form cricket um, in the domestic game? I know it's something that's going to be brought up, I think, in the MOU chats over the next 12 months. Uh, do, do you think it's is it possible in the women's game? Do you think it's part of the next stage of the evolution or do you think that it's going to be a challenge to have a, a longer form at the level below? No, I think um, I think it's really important and I actually think it serves dual purposes. Certainly it, it helps identify longer format players. Um, it helps prepare the Australian team to play test match cricket, but equally um, and perhaps more importantly, it's such a great tool for development. Um, you know, We've got so many young players in domestic squads now a lot of them haven't played a lot of cricket. They don't get a chance to play a lot of cricket, particularly at just domestic level, just because of the way that the summer's set up. Um, so for them to, to be exposed to, to longer days in the field or longer days batting, it just gives them a trim, like incredible resource to improve their skills and develop as cricketers. And um, so to me, that it's sort of a bit of a no-brainer in a lot of, a lot of ways because it, it serves that dual purpose. Uh, do you... As players, are you conscious of playing a, a positive brand of, of test cricket? I know it was something that England and India spoke about a few months ago. Is that is that something you're you're conscious of? That kind of obviously you always want to win as as the team, but you want to play the right sort of cricket to make sure people come back and watch it again. Uh, yeah, there's definitely an element of that. I think what's ideal is if you can make that game really competitive, um, and the point system does that. Um, I think. You know, sometimes test cricket can be just in, as compelling if one team is pushing really hard for the win and the other team's just trying to hang on. Um, but I think the key component to that is competition and, and real gravitas behind a game. So um, that's that's really important. I think the players are really cognizant of that. Um, but everyone wants to, <laughs> wants to ultimately win. Um, so obviously in an Ashes series, that's the, you know, the combined points total. Um, and I think that's it front of everyone's mind I don't really know what's happening with the series against India whether they're playing for points yet um, um, I know the 2014 Perth test is probably not a memory that you well you, you save as a team as I know it was a game you lost but a game for you where you scored runs and took wickets Did, in terms of an all-round performance do you do you remember that fondly as a, a sort of a quite a defining moment in your in your career um, probably not personally, but I, what I remember about that game is probably more how defining it was for, for women's tests. Like it was, and still is the most incredible game of test match cricket that I've played. Um, it was just such a tussle and at, like any session on any given day, one team or the other was ahead. Like there was no clear, clear winner right until the last session of, of that test. And, um, you know, it was played on a really good, fast, bouncy wicket. It's a good outfield, um, you know, in some really hot conditions over in, in Perth at the Wacker. So I just thought that was sort of the platform um, for how women's test matches should be played and staged going forward. And it's a real shame um, that, unfortunately, we don't um, get to play at the Wacker against mm. India this time around. But but hopefully at some point we'll get to play another test match there. That 70 you scored in that game, I mean kind of it roughly correlates with a period where your batting numbers um, in tests and ODIs went sort of stratospheric. Was there something around that time in your game where you felt batting really click for you? Um, no, from, from memory, not really. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's just something that I've always worked on and loved working on because it's um, it holds a really special place for, for me and, and 
and with my dad, um, you know, it's something we've always done is just go to the local nets and, and hit a lot of cricket balls. And, um, you know, I can, I can honestly say we've done that since I first started playing cricket and still do it now. And um, so I've always loved batting. And um, I think it just probably came at a time in my career and development where I'd probably put in enough practice and enough hours to, to start, um, you know, being able to compete well at, at, at that level. And, um, yeah, I just, I guess you get when you get the opportunity and if you're fortunate enough to make the most of it, sometimes it, it comes together and then you learn a lot from that and you get more opportunities. And then to go and score a double century at North Sydney Oval last time the Ashes uh, were out here, what, what are your recollections of that innings? Um, that was a really nice wicket to bet on. Um, <laughs> Normally is at North Sydney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it was just a really special day. Not not so much for myself, but I just think in general for the game, like it was a beautiful day. We had a really great crowd in. It had this really wonderful feel to it. Um, people were interested in the game and it was the first ever day-night test match for women. And um, yeah, to have like everyone's, well, you know, anyone from Sydney's family and friends there and a lot of a lot of interstate family and friends, friends too. Is, um, yeah, it was just a really nice memory. How best to manage Perry, and to be honest, his entire pace attack, looms as a big question for Australia coach Matthew Mott heading into this month's series with India. His star all-rounder was already facing questions around her ability to keep starring with the bat and ball in the wake of her injuries, and she is now one of a number of players forced into a 14-day quarantine period before being able to properly begin preparations for the entirely Queensland-based series of games with the Indians. But regardless of what happens, you can be sure that Andrew and the entire ESPN Crick Info team will be all over those matches, including on the ESPN Crick Info Stump Mike podcast. But for now, I'm very appreciative of you tuning in for another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead podcast, this time for a conversation between Andrew McGlashan and Elise Perry. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and don't forget that you can catch this episode all episodes of Beyond the Lead and every single episode of all of ESPN's collection of delightful podcasts, including that aforementioned ESPN Crick Info Stump Mike podcast, anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead, ESPN Crick Info Stump Mike podcast, or any podcast really, please be sure to subscribe, give a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. I like to put it on mute and have it repeat endlessly overnight, but I don't think that actually counts for the algorithm. But anyways, thanks for tuning in today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be catching this podcast episode, and do not fret, because I'll be joining you for another deep dive into sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon. <laughs>